and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Dan Seligson, and I'm here today with Ashley Jacobs. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Dan. I am so excited to be co-hosting another food episode with you. I love food and cooking and baking and eating. All those things are huge in my family. My earliest food memories are coated in cumin, cardamom, and homemade spice blends of za'atar and da'ah. Speaking of spice blends, things are about to get spicy up in here. You got that right, Ashley. Today we are joined by Spice King, Lior Lev Sirkars. Originally from Israel, Lior is the owner of La Boite in New York City, a spice emporium where he creates custom spice blends for chefs all over the world. Prior to owning his own shop, he trained in France and worked at the Michelin star-studded New York City institution, Daniel. Lior's latest book, Mastering Spice, Recipes and Techniques to Transform Your Everyday Cooking, was released in October. It's awesome. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out how you can win a signed copy of your very own. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's start by discussing your background. You're from Israel and spent three years as a sergeant in the IDF. You also cooked. Did you bring the spice to army mess halls? I, um, it was one of my first real cooking jobs, the military, although I wasn't a cook, I was a sergeant, but I was in charge of the cooks really? and cooks will be cooks. It doesn't matter if you're in the IDF or anywhere else. They were quite often not in the kitchen and they were nowhere to be found. So somebody had to make sure that my 80 something soldiers were fed, uh, whether it was in Israeli territory or outside of Israeli territories. Um, so I got my first hands-on experience in, in cooking, definitely different kind of food than what I'm cooking today. but nevertheless food and in the idea of um that feeding people is is a very important thing a from a physical standpoint because people need to eat but also from an emotional kind of thing where obviously you're in a situation that is uh not a chosen one like like the military and, and food does bring a level of comfort absolutely and food definitely does bring people together i love cooking i love trying new cuisines i love talking to people about food. And Israel is a place where many different cultures come together. How has this blending of people and cultures contributed to a blending of flavors? Um, Israel is definitely one of the more complex culinary scenes, I think, in the world, maybe second to Queens in New York, <laughs> where in a very small space you can find so many ethnicities. It's, it's about 70, 80 different ethnic groups or cultural influences, even within one apartment building wow. or within one family. Um, I had a Tunisian grandfather married to a Transylvanian woman, uh, which was very interesting. Um, so that brings a very exciting element, uh, although for many years nobody really figured that out uh, until about 20 years ago, the food scene in Israel was pretty blah, to say the least. Um, I can I can attest to that. Yeah, I can attest to chicken schnitzel and French fries for every meal. Yep, <laughs> my wife who came with me to Israel on her second trip after her bat mitzvah 
was definitely pleasantly surprised. She wanted to pack food when we left for Israel uh, eight years ago. <laughs> and uh, she said that she is never going back to Israel without food because it was so horrible. Oh, wow. Um, but no, things have changed. Uh, it definitely influenced the way I cook, the way I think, um, the way I produce spice blends and, and on and on. It's, it's a very diverse uh, food scene and, and cultural scene. Now, speaking of Israel's food renaissance, to me, Israeli food is among the most interesting and freshest and ridiculously varied of anywhere in the world. And I have not been everywhere in the world, but of the places I've been, Israel is really tops. And then I come home and the food just seems so bland. And I wonder what is it that Israelis know about seasoning and spices that Americans have not yet figured out and you are attempting to help them with? Um, first of all, I think there's a big change. I've only been in the U.S. for 17 years, and there's definitely huge change, both in restaurants and in the home cooking scene. Things are changing uh, for the better, I should say. There's more awareness um, and understanding flavor and seasonality and, and all of these things, and, and ethnic food which is finally okay to talk about. It's not a bad word. Um, the beauty of, of Israel and other cuisines in the region, like Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Egypt, and, and on and on, is that they're uh, very flavor forward. You know, every bite has a great flavor to it. It's not like a lot of the dishes that I've had the pleasure, quote unquote, on eating in the U.S., where you got to eat through half a pound of a particular component until you you get satisfied, you know, so every bite counts. So it's by definition more vibrant. It's more flavorful, pungent, um, a little bit in your face because that's part also of, of the region. I've heard um, that. I've yeah. heard that about Israeli. And it's a, and it's a great ingredient forward cuisine. You know, everybody would say that their cuisine is ingredient forward, but because of the style of cooking, which a lot of it is fresh produce of fruit that are barely cooked, if the ingredient itself isn't good, then the rest could never be good. Um, the other um, side of it would be more of the meat, which is more on the braised, longer cooking things because the quality of the meat is, is definitely getting better. It's not where it can be. And there's the more of the longer cooking methods and the seasoning and the spices and everything that goes into it to obtain that flavor. So that I think why what makes Israeli cuisine and, and other cuisines in the region so exciting, plus the fact in Israel that because of this complexity of ethnicities, it's very different from Lebanon, Syria, and Turkey, who have amazing cuisines but are more on the traditional, you know, uh, cuisine of their countries. And and Israel also is a country that innovates relentlessly, innovative. How does innovation translate to cuisine? Um, it definitely does the innovation part of it. I mean, Israel has been known for many years now for the technology, for the tech and software and whatnot. Uh, I think it's the fact that it's such a small place that you got to get creative. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a lot of other resources except right. for our brains sometimes. And, and when it comes to agriculture with half of the country or more being desert and suffering from very low amounts of water, um, it's this idea of how do you purify water? How do you grow amazing produce in the middle of the desert, which at first seems impossible? How do you irrigate produce with salt water 
and they become even sweeter than a soda, uh, which at first doesn't make sense, but it does when you look at it. So I think that um, we're seeing in the last 10 years or so the tech innovation in Israel moving to the uh, food scene uh, for health and well-being reasons, but also just for culinary purposes and developing amazing product and using that same thought process in food. Um, I often meet tech people uh, who are avid cooks. I think it's something about that, that they just suffered from lack of, of ingredients or techniques. And it's like, well, we can apply what we do at work on a daily basis into our food or into our kitchens. You mentioned that this new Israeli food renaissance is, is new. Um, and you left Israel. You went to culinary school in France, correct? I left Israel 22 years ago. Um, uh, I wanted to uh, study. I, I wanted to do my culinary studies after working for about three years in Israel in a catering company. Um, there was only one school. It was a government-run school. It shut down last year. Uh, I think it was a fantastic school to have, but the programs were very short, uh, and I wanted to do something longer. And despite the sadness of my parents, I left Israel to go to France to the Paul Bocuse Institute um, and pretty much never came back, uh, which is a big of a big reason, a big part of the reason, I should say, why, um, you know, we are working on the Culinary Institute in the Galilee is so that uh, other people like myself um, who don't want or cannot go uh, will be able to stay in Israel and study on top of the fact that we want to encourage people from around the world come to that uh, institute and see the amazing things that are done in Israel. For sure. And we're going to talk about the institute in a little bit. But when did it become your mission to demystify spices and elevate flavors, or rather to become what you say, a spice therapist? When was the moment this clicked for you? <laughs> it was one Friday afternoon at three. No, there was no specific, <laughs> uh, you know, time and date. Um, I think that it took me about 20 something years of cooking in Israel, then in France, and then in New York to slowly kind of understand what it is that I wanted to do with myself, you know, as an adult. And it became clear that um, I did not want to stay in a restaurant. I did love, you know, my colleagues and uh, I did not like the lifestyle. I'm very open about it. Um, I was physically and mentally burned. Um, and I felt that I had to do something before, you know, I would completely crash perhaps. And also realizing that I just didn't have any desire to open or run a restaurant. And, um, the question is, what do you do to pay rent after working so many years? And um, I started playing around with spices and, and I've been doing it for many years, even as a cook in restaurants and out, out of complete, I don't know if coincidence, because I don't think coincidence exists, but uh, a friend just asked me to make a couple of blends for a restaurant that he was opening. And I just made them at my house with a few mixing bowls and a little coffee grinder and he insisted on paying for them. And that was pretty much the beginning of La Boite. And, you know, it took 13 years. We're not over yet and we're not where I want to be, but to be able to talk about spices. And, and as I started it, I, I saw how little people knew of spices, both professionals and home cooks. And it really kind of became my personal challenge uh, to educate people. 
to change this narrative of, of how you use spices and when do you use and who can use them. So that's kind of how it came about the whole spice therapy, <laughs> um, with time, you know, I think that as people start coming to the store or chef clients started calling, I kind of developed this method of, of, you know, interviewing them in a way and getting out of them, uh, what they wanted to use. You know, it's, um, don't get me wrong. We don't do therapy sessions at the store. Uh, when that article came out in 2013, I did have quite a few requests for group therapy, marriage therapy, kids therapy. Everyone in New York has at least six therapists, so it would make sense that they're constantly it would have, I universe. I still think it's there's a business there, you know, in terms oh, of absolutely. a spice therapy and, and a couch and some bubbles and maybe some spices. <laughs> and and there's probably a market for it. Hey, good hours, I would imagine. Oh, fantastic. And then I wouldn't have to blend anything. I would just sit there with my lab coat and and ask people what do they think uh, <laughs> and charge them a lot and charge them a lot of money. Uh, but I think in, in a way, you know, I'm not a physician. I think that um, cooking for me is, is a great way of, of therapy, you know, uh, of doing something with your hands and, and feeding yourself and others, which, you know, uh, can help a lot of people overcome many different things. So I, I definitely believe that there's something about that. And I completely, completely agree with that. We've been talking about spice and spices. What's your definition of spice? Um, so early on when I started the business, I kept on getting this question. I was like, so do you use herbs? Do you use spices? Do you use grains? And I didn't have an answer, honestly, at the beginning. And I started reading a little bit what they meant botanically or the dictionary and all of this. And I very quickly decided to put an end to it. I was like, I decided that to me, everything that I can season my food, when I say food, it's sweet, savory or beverages. Um, as long as it's dry, it's a spice. So there's the obvious pepper and fennel and paprika and cumin, but then all of the herbs, as long as they're dried in my book, are a spice. Yeah, cheese powder is a spice to me, tomato powder, um, shellfish or fish powder. Pretty much anything that I can add that is dry to uh, what I'm cooking or making is a spice. It's botanically completely incorrect. Uh, the, the dictionary and I will argue about that, but that's okay. That's just my definition. So your new book, uh, which I'm holding, it's quite beautiful. Uh, it's called Mastering Spice. It came out in October, and I believe, Ashley, we're giving one away to a lucky listener. Is that yes, correct? Yes, we are. So stay tuned or check the podcast description That's right. for how to win. So the book is focused on helping, um, let's say, the rest of us to figure out how to properly use spices to make our food more interesting I'm wondering, because this book is needed, this is a desperately needed book, what is the biggest spice-related mistake that home cooks are making with their food? Um, the mistake, I mean, first of all, I should thank, you know, two people for, for making this book happen because, well, A, one of them is my editor, Raquel Pelzel, who kind of came up with this idea. Uh, it wasn't my intention to make book number three, but... She saw how I cook and how I treat my food. And she said, I think more people will enjoy learning about that. And then my co-writer, Genevieve Co, who just asked me to cook for about six months with her in my kitchen. And we wrote the book based on that. So that was a great process. I think that if there is a mistake, it's first of all, the fact that people don't know how to use spices. 
when to use them. How do you actually season what's right, what's wrong, which there is no answer to it. It's, it's pretty much just being intimidated. Uh, that's the biggest mistake and um, confusing spicy and hot, thinking that spices are, uh, you know, an ethnic or exotic thing. They are not. They're not reserved to anybody. So I think it's mainly not knowing how to use them, when to use them, and what they're good for, and hoping that this book um, will help them. Demystify anyway, for sure. I mean, the, the I was looking through it. It seems like it's it, that's one of the things it's doing. Yeah, and, and more so I would hope at least that it's uh, there's everyday recipes that are quite familiar for a lot of people and liberating in a way, so knowing that, oh, I could season just my scrambled eggs. And that's totally fine. And or my tea or my coffee or my uh, whatever it is that you're cooking, using spices doesn't mean that you need to make special food or exotic or ethnic food. You could just still make whatever you like to eat um, and just season it. And that alone will take it to a complete different level. So speaking of um, ethnic food, uh, there are so many foods and so many spices out there in the world, um, many of which I'm sure you have yet to discover, and I'm sure a lot fewer than I have to discover, but how do you stay on, on top of the spice scene and continue this process of discovery? Um, I'm very fortunate nowadays to have a, a network of friends and partners, clients, brokers who are actually very happy to bring me things. You have spice <laughs> agents around the globe. <laughs> they will come back from a trip with a few various Ziploc containers and, and containers. And it's like, hey, look what I brought you. Some I don't keep for very long. <laughs> Some I do. Um, keeping in mind that, you know, I, I really want to pay attention. So sometimes it will take me, my table um, um, is covered with, you know, tens and tens of different samples of things from around the world that either I buy, people send me. Um, I'm very excited when, you know, farmers call. I had a conversation earlier today with a farmer from the Hudson Valley who I didn't know, but were, was growing different spices. So I think the word is out there. And it makes me very happy. I often also will travel, uh, whether it's to growing areas. I've been to India this year, which was fascinating. I go to Israel, obviously, so I'll go and see farmers there. But even sometimes traveling to different cities and going to different specialty stores and, and you know, buying those things that I've never even heard of and seeing whether there's potential. What cuisine do you find the most intriguing? Oh, I don't know that there's, um, you know, I have my personal, you know, likes or things that I'm more drawn into. I mean, I am from the Middle East and I don't know that that will ever change. Uh, that would be my first go-to. Um, but I like to educate myself about every cuisine that is out there or every technique or every ingredient. Uh, what I do with it later, it's totally up to me. But I, I don't know that there's something more intriguing than the other. It also depends when it is. What do I feel like eating now or tomorrow or, or the next season? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> what flavor profile are you looking to explore next? Um, it's always I've, I've distinguished for the last couple of years is to work with hops, oh, which is yes. something that um, I've brought in a few samples, but then I left them too long and then they faded out. So I throw them away and it's still on my mind to explore hops. 
uh, as a flavor profile, as an ingredient, I mean, which is definitely ingredient, very little used in cooking or for brewing, obviously. Um, so that's one of the things. Um, bitter flavors is something that I'm very interested in lately, more so than ever. And how do you come up with these these spice blends? So again, I'm at the point where I try not to make new blends just because we make so many. And and I, I love creating new blends, but then it's up to me to make them. Yes. <laughs> so we currently blend over 300 blends. Wow. Which is ridiculous. But what happens is that we'll have at least once or twice a week a client existing or a new one that would want me to come up with a new blend for their popcorn, chocolate, beer, cheese, I don't know what. And so even if I don't have any idea, it, it comes from our clients, which, you know, uh, keeps me up to date. You have been described as the spice king of New York, the world's greatest food city, some would say. Uh, how does one stay on the throne, the iron <laughs> throne that, <laughs> upon which the spice king sits? Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a very big title and, you know, I don't know if I'm the person who fits this title, but, you know, I don't think that I eliminated any other businesses or, or you know, I, I think there's room for more. I do what I do, you know, and I, I try to be the best at it from the blending side. I think that what sets La Boite a little bit apart from other businesses within the industry is the culinary approach. I am first and foremost a cook and I will always be a cook. So happens that I specialize now in, you know, in spices, but it's always from the culinary perspective. I also have a cookie company. So, um, I do a lot of, um, research in, in the bakery or pastry area. So I think that's kind of what uh, sets La Boite apart is, is really that. We talked a little bit before about the uh, Galilee Culinary Institute um, by JNF, Jewish National Fund, uh, in Israel, and your role as director. How is the institute going to differ from other cooking schools? I know you mentioned that it will be sort of the first of its kind in Israel, um, but sort of what, what will set this institute apart? Yeah, I think the, the GCI, the Galilee Culinary Institute that I'm very proud and honored to uh, build with Jewish National Fund, with JNF, is um, a, a new and different thing for Israel and, and perhaps globally, not for the sake of just being different. It took me about 20-something years to figure out what we should do there, and it's probably not the end of it. And the main thing that I realized over the years is that I see a lot of uh, culinary graduates from amazing places, including Boston. Um, and a lot of them, unfortunately, sometimes discovered the hard reality of, of our industry. It's physically demanding. It's, it's, you know, it's not easy. It's fantastic if you love it. And I think that what I realized over the years is that there's other way that you can um, explore the culinary world without just being a cook, which is great. Um, there's obviously the sweet applications, but there's also the technology application and the design and the writing and everything that goes around with our industry where you can perhaps excel and have a better professional life and still remain connected. So based on a university model, if if that could even be described, is, is exposing our students 
um, to what the options are and letting them choose which, which field or what area they want to graduate in with our support and, um, and helping them really step out into their future role, whether it's opening a business or whether it's going and working in a company. And earlier in the process of the learning and the education is to try and match them up with a potential employer, whether it's Israeli or international, knowing that the school um, is an international school, programs will be in English. It's open to everybody who wants and can arrive to Ben-Gurion Airport and drive two hours north. Um, it's also unique in a way because uh, there's a farm that's right uh, walking steps from the institute where students will work in the fields and grow hopefully as much as we can for their dishes and preparation with potentially down the road a, a culinary farming degree which will um, you know train the next generation of, of farmers for that matter. A couple of great university in the region that are partnering with us both from the management aspect and the food science and technology. And as you mentioned earlier, Israel being a, a great tech center, um, an R&D slash developing uh, tech incubator that's been built eight or 10 minutes, depending who's driving from there, where these companies will start working with the students from a, a very early uh, stage. I'm totally sold. <laughs> I'm totally sold. Uh, maybe for my third career, that'll be, <laughs> that'll yeah. be where I head. Sure. Uh, I want to bring you to our speed round in which we're going to ask you, eh, what have we got, about a half dozen rapid fire questions um, because, you know, spices kind of bring that out in us. You're given three spices to bring to a deserted island to cook everything you're going to make for an entire year. Which three do you grab? Uh. They should have seen that coming. Uh, <laughs> I'd say, well, I wouldn't take salt because I can get that from the ocean if it's an island. So there's probably water. So scratch the salt. I'll take care of that. Loophole. I'm that's, so impressed. That's a loophole in the question. <laughs> I've learned that well a while done. ago. Well yes. Done. Some form of heat, either chili or pepper, uh, cumin and cinnamon. Cinnamon. Interesting. Cumin. I actually figured you were going to say that. Cumin is my go-to. Yeah. I use it in a lot of things. Cumin and cinnamon together are delicious. Yeah, absolutely. Use them in an enchilada sauce recipe. So good. <laughs> Thanksgiving, we went through a ton of cumin, of cumin. in this country. Interesting. And cinnamon. Really? Sure, yeah. They go together for so many different root I, vegetable I, dishes. I would think of cinnamon for, I mean, a lot of people, Thanksgiving cumin wouldn't be the first thing that comes to mind, but I'm happy it is. <laughs> What's your favorite and least favorite spice? Uh, oh, that's not, a, that's not a fair question in terms of the favorite one. I like them all. I mean, it, it's really hard to, to say there's not like one absolute one. I think spices, generally speaking, is my, it's hard for me to cook without spices. Let's put it that way. Uh, a least favorite, um, I'd say the one that I use very little of, not because I don't like it, it's just, but it's not my thing, is saffron. Interesting. I do like saffron and everything about it. And I know, you know, people have this misty, I mean, it's expensive and it's delicious and it's great. I could very well live without saffron. It comes in little packages that look like it's some precious narcotic. Well, we buy them in yes. we buy them in larger quantities <laughs> and we buy quite a bit during the year. And I know the value and what it takes to grow. And I have a lot of appreciation for it. But if I if you ask me what I could live without, I'd probably say saffron. Fair. Very mild flavor too. Uh, no, it could be very strong really? and powerful. Once you have some really good quality ones, 
that's it's, probably it, why. Could, it could be overpowering and that's the, the risk and that's why there's a nice thing about selling them in small amounts because if you put a lot of saffron, it could turn very quickly into a nasty, non-pleasant experience. Interesting. So I, I watched you, uh, I watched a video of a TV segment that you did on, I think it was CBS this morning or something close to that. And you mentioned that you add spice to your coffee in the morning. I drink a French roast or some other dark roast with one sugar and a titrate of cream. What is my go-to seasoning for my coffee? Uh, the obvious, I mean, the obvious for me would be cardamom. Oh, that's my favorite spice. Which, um, you know, tradition you'd find in a lot of Arabic countries in coffee, even in Colombia. Uh, so that's very easy for if you want to start from somewhere. And then you can go into obviously ginger and cinnamon and clove and nutmeg uh, pepper. You know, it's a bit out there, but it does help. Um, it also helps reducing if, if you want to get rid of sugar. That's one way to go about it. Spices, generally speaking. Interesting. All right. I may try this tomorrow morning. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. In your experience with American cooking, what's the most overused and desperately needed spice in our cuisine? I think people, hmm, I wonder, they use a lot of, you know, granulated garlic and, and onion, but really mediocre. I don't want to be offensive and say bad but they're pretty bad. And I do love granulated onion and granulated or dry onion and dry garlic. I think it's, um, there's too much of the non-good stuff. Uh, I think, yeah. Which goes right into my next question, which is what is the most underused spice? What do we need here that we're not using enough of? Well, the, the general answer is that we need just good quality things. That's to the, the, you know, there's, uh, before we run and get, you know, the, the stuff that's, you know, unheard, unused and whatnot, even if you just use three or four spices in, at your home, it's fantastic. And I, and, and I love that. Just do make a point to buy good quality ones because you're buying probably good produce and good protein and you're seasoning them with bad stuff. And spices aren't a cheap thing that's discounted or it, it should cost something should have a value um, and there's probably some quality behind it. So I think that's the, the most underused is just good spices. That's great advice. What's a dish you recently ate that blew your mind? Ah, I do have an answer for that. Uh, I don't usually, but it did happen not too long ago. Um, there's a place called Don Angie in New York. Um, her name is Angie. His name is not Don, he's Scott. Uh, <laughs> but the restaurant is called Don Angie. Um, I'd say, and I hope they won't hate me for saying that, but it's, it's heavily influenced by Italian dishes, but with some play or with some nuances from Asia and other places around the world, but in a very smart way. Um, so everything on the menu there is, is just mind blowing and fantastic and delicious. But there was one thing that really stood out. It's, it's a dessert, although you can argue that it's a cheese course or even an appetizer. I don't know everything that goes into it because she wouldn't tell me, Angie, but it's imagine a burrata that was um, mixed with other dairy components and then molded into a, a bowl or sphere as if it was a burrata. And then on the outside of it, there's a sort of a very thin skin, like a mochi dough, like a the Japanese ice cream. And then it's cut in half and it's served over this beautiful Ligurian olive oil with a little bit of salt 
And it's this frozen cheese meets dessert meets olive oil meets salt, which every bite of it is just like mind blowing to me. Um, that was, yeah. I'd, I'd go back just to get that if if I could now. We're headed uh, there. We're <laughs> headed there right after. Hard this. to get That's reservations, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely worth it. It's it's amazing, you know. I, I eat a lot, um, and then I love exploring, you know, restaurants and just stands in the street. I just came back from a seven day eating tour in Israel uh, with a group that we ate I, I don't know seven times a day probably and. <laughs> And there's things we're like, oh, yeah, okay. There's things like, wow, this is great. And every once in a while comes this bite that, you know, like this grilled beef tongue in the middle of the Carmel Market in Tel Aviv by a friend of mine at his restaurant. And I was like, and I've had beef tongue many times before, which I love, but the, the way he prepares it and the way he grills it, there's something about it that's like, it makes me happy, you know, to to want to continue eating more. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate, Ashley and I both appreciate having you on the show. Um, the book is fantastic. It's called Mastering Spice, Recipes and Techniques to Transform Your Everyday Cooking. And the Institute is opening... Uh, hopefully Spanish. fall 2020. Okay. Uh, hopefully first group of students January 2021. Wow. So we'll be open the restaurant or the... the Outlets will be open in fall or early winter 2020. First group of students probably January 2021. Um, you can, you know, follow at, at JNF uh, on their website to see some updates until the GCI is uh, out there, the website. And yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Vibe of the Tribe. To enter to win a signed copy of Mastering Spice, Recipes and Techniques to Transform Your Everyday Cooking, visit jewishboston.com slash spiceking. Be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan. 